0: I was so so sick and uh, the sermon series are you ready we're, we're in week 2 of it and uh, week 1 Miles or week 1 Mickey talks about being prepared for you know natural disasters he's he talks about are we prepared practically are we prepared purposefully I don't know if you remember this he had like a giant fire truck on the stage Real cool, Mickey. Real cool. Set me up. You set me up. And I remember listening to him and I got the ask to speak on this, in this direction, in this series, exactly seven days ago. So seven days, Mickey's on stage. I get a text message from George Clary, campus pastor. He's like, Mingo, you're going to preach next week. And I was like. (sighs) (sighs) Okay, so. Here's the problem. Mickey is like Mickey's like a champ, easy, right? The guy gets up he's like, "I love that guy, he's my dad, right? I believe what you say. I'm just normal guy, right? I'm not Superman. I'm normal man i am I'm skinny jeans guy, right that's me that i i'm a no, I represent the average person, right? I am raising a three year old with my wife guy I am. Uh, Oh, yeah, three-year-olders in the house, right? Uh, (laughs) I'm the, like, eat an entire plate of carne asada, french fries, and instantly regret it guy. That's me. Um, I am, I got a lot of things to learn guy, right? I, I think that I represent the average person. And so talking about a topic right the sermon series is are you ready i just thought to myself i am so not ready for this conversation <laughs> i just blatantly know that this is going to dismantle me and uh i think that because i <laughs> i represent the average person i i think that i have a a lot of the same fears that probably you roll with every single week in your life and i think about you know, disaster preparedness, I think about chaos that comes, right? Natural disasters are not as frequent as life disasters that happen in my world, right? Emotional chaos and unexpected circumstances that just throw me so far for a loop. And I think the response of a natural person, I wrote it down, I, I think that they The average person's hope on their best day is that that they would have enough in them to get through or over whatever it's going to be that's going to come at them, right? That you would have in you whatever it takes to get through or over whatever's going to come at you. And for me... I realize that I, I want to be a person that's super prepared. I want to be somebody who, no matter what life throws or what comes down the pipeline, that my response would always be to default to Jesus and say, I trust you deeply. I know what, I know what your word says about me. I know who your character is. I know that this scenario may not be familiar, but I know you, right? That's my inclination, is that I've always wanted to just know that Jesus, you've got Something going, and I'm going to trust you being your creation, right? But I'm not Superman. I'm just regular man. And so for me, I think the only optional, the only smart thing to do is get into Scripture and look at a regular man whose hope is to be the best he can possibly be, but in reality, understanding that Jesus is the only way he's going to be The greatest version of himself. And you get into the book of of Acts and there are some unbelievable acts that happen, right? Some occurrences that are going on and I'll just, I'll read to you a chunk of it. It's Acts chapter 2 and we're we're not going to hang here. I just want to give you a picture of something because when I... When I go through trials, I actually think I'm an actual pretty optimistic person. I was writing literally in my notes this week, when the wheels fall off of my car, I'm thankful for air conditioning. right? I wrote that in my notes, and then a day after I wrote that in my notes, I'm driving down the freeway, and I catch a flat tire, and I'm like, I see what's happening here. I will be thankful for my air conditioning. I will not just, whatever it is that happens, it makes, like, it's one thing when you catch a nail, right? You, like, pinch your tire in a curb, you're like, that was my fault, right? I get to the tire place, and I, you know, the person goes, do you have a flat? And I go, I'm at the tire place. You know, like, (laughs) Jesus loves you. Pastor Mingo. Okay, so, uh, uh. I get to the tire place again. This is really weird. You just have a hole in your tire, and I go, "Yeah, no, it's not weird at all." I'm preparing for a message that's about being prepared. You have no idea what my life is about, right? Right? <laughs> Changes out the tire, but I, I, I don't know. People who know me would vouch for me. I've, I'm an optimistic person. It's a rare day that I get derailed super hard, right? And this week, in preparation of this, just got me. It just got me in the worst way. I wish I could tell you the details. I'm certain Miles would call me and say, Mingo, you'll never preach again. So uh, when I look at scripture though, I look at it through the same optimistic lens. I, I look at scripture and I go, this is, this could be us. We might have this here. We could be on the verge here at The Rock, right? It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. And I think to myself, they, these are the, the leftover people in the book of Acts. It's Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and he leaves his 12 apostles in charge of now being the witness on the ground for all people who would know him. And this particular chunk of scripture... It's in reflection of Peter standing up so boldly and preaching a repentance message to the people who put Jesus on the cross. That's no joke preaching. That's not the kind of teaching environment, the hostility at hand. We don't experience that. Imagine being the person who's so filled with a conviction and love and purpose in Jesus that you would gather all the people who crucified him, like a, hey, post-crucifixion party, my house, right? You would have that. And then you go, hey, listen, everybody, you killed the wrong guy. You killed the Savior. But I love Jesus so much, and Jesus loves you so much that I'm standing here confidently that you could kill me, but I'm telling you that you need him more than you know. And the Bible says that there are so many that are swept up by the love of Jesus and his display on the cross, that the Holy Spirit fills that community. It says that they they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It says that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. You ever go to church and you feel a sense of like, this is not what my everyday feels like, right? You get a sense of awe in this place because it's, It's immersed in spiritual preparation for this moment, right? Milan and the boys, like they, the band and all the collective worship team, they are preparing in their spirit what's going to happen here. That's the sense of awe that you're getting. It's the preparedness of their hearts as they come forward. That's the sense of awe that everyone is sensing here. And it says, And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions, and they were sharing them with all, anyone who might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. It says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is utopia. That is Jesus' utopia to me, right? When I, I look at that and I read that, I think my ministry and my life and my marriage and my friendships and I... I think of the kind of person that I want to be, the kind of person I will to be remembered as. I want this to be the snapshot of the kind of life and community that I live in. And yet, well, you look at the core of who's rallying all this movement in the book of Acts. And who's the man behind the movement is a trick question. Because you're going to say, Jesus, and I'm going to be like, you're wrong. Okay, so like Jesus is fueling the movement, right? But he's not on the ground. He's back with the Father at the right hand. So the Holy Spirit is now empowering the disciples. And Peter is the chief man behind the movement in the book of Acts, especially in the front end of it. And he's preaching to the faces of the people that killed Jesus, and he's stepping out in boldness, and he's writing and propelling so many communities forward. I want to be one of those people. I know in your heart, if you love Jesus, there's a a determination in you to be one of those people. But Jesus' utopia is not where we're going to hang out this morning. We're actually going to go backwards to one of the roughest seasons in Peter's life. Probably the darkest, singular moment in his life. And have a Sunday about that. That sounds like a good Sunday to me. So, the idea is hopefully this. That we're going to look at some of the, the practices that Jesus is hoping Peter is going to pick up. And figure out what we can walk away from. Figuring out what a spiritually prepared person looks and acts and reacts like. And what a spiritually unprepared person looks and acts and reacts like. You follow me? That's me telling you what you're about to go through, okay? And it's a chunk of scripture. So like, be ready, okay? You ready? Let's do this, okay? So Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus is going to give the pep talk of pep talks. Are you ready for it? Mark 14, 27. It says this and Jesus said to them you will all fall away the end let's pray all right no that's the worst pep talk i've ever heard jesus ever give ever it would be better if jesus like softened the blow and said hey i've got ice cream for everybody now here's the bad news right but he doesn't jesus has already walked the better part of the 3 years with his tribe he's got his community of 12 he's got a core community right his internal pack his best friends in ministry and they've already walked with Jesus through some of the craziest ministry yet i mean they've they've seen him shove his fingers into people's ears and they've been healed right they've they've watched him feed 5000 they've been on the ground when he's when he's gone away and he's gone for solitude and silence in the wilderness. And they've watched him come back, spending communal time with the Father. They've watched him being challenged by teachers. And they've watched him teach in the temple and on the hillsides alike. And now as they're about to enter Jesus' last week of life, and I know what some of you guys are like thinking. You're like, Mingo, I actually think this is an Easter message. You're, you're in, this is August. It's not April. And I'm like... This is where Jesus took me, okay? So deal with it, okay? Just deal with it. Okay, so um, the setting is rough. Jesus is telling him, listen, here's the reality is, it's going to get so chaotic in the next 72 hours. The storm we're all about to walk through is going to be heavier than any of you can bear. And at the, at the end of it, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Jesus' pep talk. You will all fall away. And he, he quotes Zechariah. He says, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. He's, he's referencing a prophecy. And Mickey talked about prophecy last week. It's a promise that has to be fulfilled in order for God's will to come true. Right? But Jesus says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. It's the best about Jesus over and over and over in the scriptures is that when he speaks the truth of being aware of yours and mine inability to succeed in our efforts, that he's got a plan for restoration for when it's over. You follow me on this one? When he knows that you and I are going to fall short, he's already predetermined a reconciliation plan to meet on the other side. It's the best hope you have to hold on to this morning. And for the disciples, it's everything, right? I love Peter, but Peter said, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Give it to Peter, man. He's like, throws everybody under the bus. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. And these guys, they're not the greatest, right? And they will fall away. I'm with you. Weak sauce, right? Right? Not the best, the best, right? Check me out, I'm ready. He says, it's rough. Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I love Peter's heart here. I think it's probably reflective of so many of our own hearts, right? Jesus, I want to do and stand boldly for you. And I think that his, his spirit is leaning the right direction, but Jesus, knowing the, the depth of the chaos, you talk about natural disaster, the death of the Savior. And Jesus is telling him, listen, I know that your heart is inclined to be faithful and bold and strong, you're gonna fail. But listen, when you do, I'm gonna go ahead of you. And he doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna meet you like at the principal's office, right? I'm gonna meet you on the gates as I kick you out and I replace you on my team. He says, I'm gonna meet you in Galilee. You know where that is? That's like their home taco shop, right? He's like, I'm gonna meet you guys at my favorite place, the place where all of this started. You're gonna find me there. Don't forget that. See, I think. Spiritually prepared people, this is Jesus exemplifying his preparedness for the chaos. His preparedness for the disaster. I think spiritually prepared people have a plan when relational disaster strikes. Right? His plan is reconciliation. Jesus's spirit is prepared for the loss of his core relationships. He's He's supernaturally determined to be faithful to those who will unavoidably fail him. Some of you sit right here and you're thinking, "Man, I wish there were I wish that was the case for name your person who you've been trying to reconcile with and you failed him and you're trying to make amends and it's just not happening." Some of you guys Some of you guys have never thought about what it might feel like if those that you love the most would let you down would betray you would would somehow turn on you or in a in a unexpected season become those that hurt you the most and Jesus is showing us no doubt that he's premeditated what his reaction would be through prayer, solitude, silence, right? All the many times that you watch Jesus get away to the wilderness, away from his core community, it's in that space that he had predetermined that when his relationships would fail, that he would have a plan ready to go. I want to be somebody who my spirit is prepared for, When the closest people, when they they irritate me or they abandon me or they turn on me, when they don't pay me back the money they owe me, right? If my brother's listening in on this. I'm just yugging. Right? But those are the irritations in you. And if you decide in the moment, if you decide in the flesh how you're going to react, you fail. You have to predetermine spiritually, right? This is what's going to happen when the people I love relationally let me down. That's the example we have from Jesus in this moment. And we keep going, it says, they came to a place named Gethsemane, and Gethsemane, it literally means oil press. And Jesus isn't taking them to this place to press them. He's taking them as witnesses. This is how good incredible Jesus is, he's going to take his disciples to the place where he will be pressed the most so that they can see how he is about to prepare for the most daunting physical trial he will ever face. Jesus is giving them front row tickets to what it looks like to prepare in the spirit. It says, he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. The word distressed here, it means struck with terror in the Greek. The word troubled, it's the strongest of the three Greek words we get for depression in the New Testament. It's a rare picture that you get of your Savior in his humanity. Terrified and depressed to the darkest corners about the battle that's going to come in the flesh. And I always thought when I studied this, I always thought that it was the crucifixion that Jesus was so pressed about. And it it is in a certain sense, but you know what's 20 million times harder that Jesus is preparing for is the reality that he has to exit union With his father, who has known nothing but total satisfaction in a son, perfect unison, perfect relationship, perfect love. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit together have never tolerated sin ever. And Jesus knows that before 48 hours is over, that he himself has to become sin. That he has to literally deny his own essence in order to reconcile you and I back to the right place where we belong with our creator. And he willingly does that. But the road there has got him in a place struck with terror in the deepest of depression. And watch what he does it says, He says to them, My soul is so deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And this idea of keep watch is for the disciples, He's telling them, Be alert. Do me a favor and just be alert of what's happening in this place right now. I can only imagine that Jesus doesn't go very far and they hear Him weeping bitterly. They hear the, the compression of what's going to be the entire world for all eternity, sin, start to settle in on him. And the horrifying reality that he's not going to share that perfect union with his father in the moment that he covers our sin. It says that he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and he began to pray that if it were possible that the hour might pass him. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In this moment, Jesus is literally battling the spirit and the flesh. He's praying that his spirit would be filled and strengthened to the point that when the chaos comes, that he would endure it. When the storm shows up, that he would have enough in him to carry him through the mess. He's going to set an incredible example that we're going to see the contrast unpack for Peter, the super Christian right here. It says, when he came and he found them sleeping, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Keep watching and now pray that you will not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. At first, Jesus tells Peter, listen, I just want you to pay attention. Keep watch. Be on alert. And he goes and he starts to prepare in the spirit for the battle that's coming, for the chaos that's coming. And he comes back and he finds the disciples asleep. And for Peter, all of them are there. But Peter, he goes to him and he says, Peter, could you not stay awake for one hour even? I need you right now. But here's the deal. I'm going to have you pray, not for me, not in this moment, not for what I have to endure, but Jesus is so good. He says, Peter, I need you to pray for yourself that you don't fall into temptation. Right, and I always thought to myself, is this temptation like sleep? Is its it... Is it s- Jesus, please tell me sleep is not a sin, right? Like, I, that, I, that will wreck me for the rest of my life. I need sleep so badly, right? I need good sleep. And I have a three-year-old, and that is a rarity, right? Sleep is a rarity. But I don't think that it's sleep that Jesus is telling Peter, pray that you won't enter into temptation. I think Jesus is referencing Peter's promise. The heart, the inclination of his heart was, I don't want to flip-flop on you, Jesus, I don't want to desert you. I want to go to the cross with you. I will be arrested with you. I will take the pains as you take the pains. When people mock you, they'll mock me. I'm ready for it. I think that Jesus is telling them, listen, on those words, Pray that you don't enter into temptation. And I love that the way he describes it, it's like a zone, right? That you would not enter into the zone of temptation. Imagine it like this stage, right? This stage is like the zone of whatever the greatest temptation that you have is. Think of your temptations. And Jesus is literally telling you, pray, prepare spiritually that you don't come onto this stage And enter into the temptation that catches you. The spirit is willing. It doesn't want to go on stage. But the flesh is weak. It just wanders on there and it says, how the heck did I get here? Well, I might as well. See, pay attention to like these basic things. We need to know that we can be spiritually prepared to resist places And people and things of temptation. There's victory to be had in the spiritual preparation. When Jesus says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. I think he's showing us what the battlegrounds look like. Right? Pay attention to how you are on Facebook or on Instagram or on Snapchat or whatever it is that you're socializing on. Right? Pay attention to the people who walk you towards the worst version of yourself. And then call you their friends, right? Pay attention Pay attention to the feeling you have when the deed is done. You'll know where temptation lies, right? You'll know you're in dangerous waters when your toes get wet, right? That's the inclination that Jesus has built into all of us. And Jesus is saying you can prepare spiritually to be victorious over the temptation that you wouldn't even enter it. If you spent time preparing in the spirit, which is so willing to do that fight. But the flesh is weak. And man, so many of us, including myself, we go battle after battle and experience loss after loss. Because we've done zero preparation in the spirit. And we go running into these physical, way over our head battles. And we wonder, God, how come I didn't have enough strength to get through this? How come I couldn't say no? How come I couldn't be victorious over this? How come I couldn't break this battle in this terrible verse running over and over in my head that I can't succeed and I can't do this. God, why can't I beat anxiety? God, why can't I get through my depression? And the question that I gotta ask you is, what preparation in the spirit before you got to that battle have you done? So many of us are walking in such anemic spirits, right? We're just, we're weak. And we blame God when we get to the battle and we have no weapons, We blame God because we get to the fight and we literally get pummeled. The reality is that Jesus is showing his disciples and it's captured in scripture so that we would see what it looks like to be prepared in the spirit. And so he keeps on going. He says, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And again, he came away and he prayed and he said the same things. And he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. I know this feeling. I want to determine to be a better husband. I want to determine to be a better pastor, a better ministry leader. I want to not fly off the handle when things don't go the way that I want them to. I want to be somebody who stands for what I believe in the workplace. I want to be somebody who, amongst my community, they can see me as a hope beacon. And yet the problem is that when it comes time to do the preparation for any of those things, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. It's just easier to go through like four or five shows on Netflix. <laughs> you see the folly here. And Jesus shows back up and the opportunity is there. And Jesus is like, how was it? And you're left silent. You don't know what to answer him. Because in your spirit, you're willing and you're inclining and you're, you're hoping that you would get to step into the person that he's created you to be, the best version of yourself. And yet you failed to prepare. And so you just remained the same. The disciples are dead center in the middle of that. Their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. If you've got this in your Bible, I want you to underline it. It is enough. It is enough. The hour has come, behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up and let's be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. See, I think literally this three-pack word, it is enough, is the window that Jesus says, listen, the time for preparation, it's closed. There's a season to prepare, and there's a season to battle. And you can't do preparation when you're in the middle of the battle. There's a season to prepare and there's a season to do battle. And there's a window that will close when the preparation and the time to be prepared is going to come to a close and the hurricane's going to start. And Jesus says, It is enough. I spent my time preparing, weeping, laying it out at the Father, saying, Not my will, but your will. Take this. I don't want this. But God, if you have me go through this for a purpose that's going to glorify you, I'll take it. Let's go. The time has come, and the chaos is about to begin, and the disciples spend zero time preparing in the spirit, and this is what happens. It says, immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. It says, now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. And Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? I I love Jesus' response. Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. See, Jesus is in the middle of like part one of Hurricane Crucifixion, right? The onslaughts of the mess of his life being ended is starting in this moment. And when they come with clubs and swords, you have two people. One, Jesus, who is spiritually prepared for this. And you have the disciples, Peter at the helm, spiritually unprepared for what's going to happen. And they come and they, they grab Jesus. And it's crazy, in the, in the book of Luke, the same, the same chapter, the same account, it says... And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. I think that out of this observation, we can pull two super clear points. I think that spiritually unprepared people will use God's will as a cover-up for their lack of self-control. I think that spiritually unprepared people will use God's will as a cover up for their lack of self-control. It's put it's clear as day. Peter says, "Lord, shall we strike with the sword?" And before he hears clarity on Jesus, which all of us know looking at this, Jesus would say, "Absolutely not. I'm ready for what's coming. I've been prepared for what's coming." Peter doesn't wait for an answer from the Lord. So many of us do not wait for an answer from the Lord. We take matters into our own hands and what results is violence. And Jesus says it, no more of this. It's done. Exclamation mark. This does not fly in my kingdom. I think that people who fail to prepare in the spirit will find themselves hurting other people as a reaction to their own potential hurt. You ever hear the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Right? You ever hear the phrase, everyone's quick to be identified as a servant. Oh, we love being servants in like the Christian faith. We love being servants in the Christian community until you're treated like one. Right? So many of us use God's will and what happened and, man, I didn't expect that to be the outcome, but we're going to try to make it work. And we use God. And his perfection as an excuse for our lack of self-control. And Jesus in his response is so controlled and calm and collected. He says, You guys are coming to arrest me like I'm a violent offender. But I I he's like, I saw you in church with your family. I was teaching. I saw you. Imagine that. Imagine how he, he defuses what everyone thinks is going to be the violent fight of fights. Disciples against the scribes, clubs and swords, right? Everybody just going at it, the biggest fight ever, and hopefully they can catch Jesus at that point and say, That's why that guy needs to be put to death. And Jesus goes, Man, I saw you guys in church. Oh, I was in the temple teaching, and I remember seeing you. And you're going to come at me like I'm a robber? The situation gets even more interesting when they arrest Jesus. It says this it says, And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. Jesus Jesus is dead on. They all leave him and flee. And then we get this really weird two-liner in the middle. And I think that it's hilarious. It says, a young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized that guy too. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked, right? I'm like, what the heck? Okay, so uh, it's super intense. And then they're like, this guy from San Diego State was, like, in a toga. And he heard about Jesus. And he was all about Jesus. But then they were like, oh, your life is going to get challenging. And he's like, no, nope, I'd rather not. See, some of us come to faith With nothing, right? We know, God, I need you, and that's just about it. But without any preparation, even the person who's following just by curiosity, this young kid with a sheet over his naked body, at the end of the day when the challenge comes, even he scatters, right? You would think, Peter, he scatters because he's got a lot to lose, right? They crucify him seriously because he's the chief person in Jesus' camp, But I love that this is in here because nobody is exempt. Spiritual preparedness is not for those who are the hallmark faith heroes in the church. Spiritual preparedness is all of our responsibility, including this young kid with a sheet on his body, butt naked, running through the woods. Right? He's never... He's never been mentioned before and he'll never get mentioned again, but while he's interested in following Jesus, there should have been some preparation for what it meant to be a part of Jesus' crew, right? You've got to know that there's some qualifications for what it means to be a part of Jesus' crew, right? And that includes spiritual preparedness, not just like, oh, I walked through garbage and Jesus has got me. You look like an idiot. You sound like an idiot on Facebook when you don't prepare spiritually and somebody says, well, that, let's just hold that for this next section, okay? The next section is good, right? They led Jesus away to the high priest and to all the chief priests and to the elders of the scribes and they gathered together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers and he was warming himself by the fire. I think this Peter sitting by, he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. I think that is the enter into temptation that Jesus is talking about. Right? Because he's cold. He wants to find a sense of neutrality, right? Or people and Jesus is absolutely being accused in this moment. Peter just wants to be close enough to see Jesus, right? I'm still here, Jesus. Mark me is here, right? He wants to be in proximity to Jesus, but he's he's chiefly concerned with the neutrality of his identity. Right? So many of us are in the exact same pack. We want to somehow be seen on a Sunday. Bless you, brother. Bless you. Right? We We want that engagement on a Sunday, but we want the neutrality of our identification the rest of the week. Jesus says, there's a qualification for being a part of my pack. And it's going to come real hard and real heavy right now. This is what it says. It says, now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any, for many were giving false testimonies against him. But their testimony wasn't consistent. Some stood up and even began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say that I'll destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I would rebuild it made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and he questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him. And he said to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witness? You have heard the blasphemy. Jesus' identity and actions come into question. And what I just read for you was... A melee of false accusations. False testimony, gossip, swirling about the character and intent and person of Jesus. And Jesus giving the picture of what a spiritually prepared person looks like. Somebody who is prepared spiritually shows us that people who are prepared in the spirit when falsely accused remain silent. They don't have to defend themselves. Spiritually prepared people, when falsely accused, remain silent. They do not have to defend themselves. Think about the last time you blew up in self-defense. Where was your spirit? And I love, I was talking to somebody after the 8 o'clock service, and they said, Mingo, you have no idea, I have been constantly at odds with my son and then one day after all these accusations I decided just not to say something and it was at that point that reconciliation began see God gets to be your defender when you choose not to just blurt out in response what you feel in the moment on the moment right and I love that Jesus with wisdom determines the questions that are genuine right He's silent when false accusation flies, but when a genuine question comes in, that's when he's ready for an answer, right? That's when he's ready for an answer. The spiritually prepared people have the wisdom to be able to decipher honest and real questions when the mess is happening and people are throwing words like daggers, and then eventually they choose not to throw a dagger, then you engage. And you say, let's talk about that. Let's have a conversation about that you will not ever get there if you're not prepared spiritually. You will never have that kind of control and calm and peace if you're not preparing before this kind of chaos. When this chaos comes, preparation time is over. And in response, the chief priest tears his clothes, sorry, the high priest tears his clothes he asks, what further need do we have of witness? And they begin to beat Jesus. It says, they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And it's interesting, his condemnation doesn't come from the false accusations. His condemnation comes from, his death sentence comes from his own understanding of his identity and is willing to stand on it. And we know some brave people in our history, in our country, who when they were put to the, the test about who they were at gunpoint, they said, I believe in Jesus. So help me God. There are plenty of people all around the globe who are facing a death sentence in exchange for the confession of faith. And what's so miraculous about their faith is that it's rooted in Jesus's. I want my faith to be rooted in Jesus's. That he understands his identity so completely that even At the face of a death penalty, he says, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. And some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. And here's Peter The contrast, it says Peter was below in the courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest. This is the comparison. Jesus being interrogated by the high priest and the entire council falsely accusing him, hoping that he's gonna come up with a false statement that they're gonna trap him on. And Peter is below deck in a courtyard and he's being poked at by the servant girl of the high priest. It's the least amount of threat A person can have is to be interrogated by the servant girl of the high priest, the lowest level of threat. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it and he said, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. And a rooster crowed, and the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, now she's involving others, this is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders now, again, were saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. Really smart Bible people think that that last statement is a, um, an accent catch, between Jesus and Peter, that they recognize Peter to be affiliated with Jesus because they talk like they're from the same town. It's interesting that the final like catch for Peter, the the, the hardest and biggest crowded, convincing like accusation is that he sounds like Jesus. That he sounds like Jesus. That when he, when he opens his mouth, you can't help but go, I. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. And and he began to curse and to swear. And he says, I do not know this man that you are talking about. And immediately a a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. And in Luke it says he began to weep bitterly. See, I think that. In contrast to Jesus, right, when falsely accused, spiritually prepared people remain silent, not having to defend themselves. People who fail to prepare in the spirit, like we see from Peter, when challenged under pressure, fail to stand for who they really are. Right? When people who fail to prepare in the spirit... When challenged under pressure, they will fail to stand for who they really are. And for Peter, this is, this is the most, this is the bottom of the barrel for Peter. This is Peter's best friend. It's the person who's paid the deepest into Peter's life. I think that Peter broke down and wept because he first failed his friend Jesus I think that when scripture says that he wept bitterly like it's written in Luke, I think it's because Peter doesn't remember the complete picture of Jesus. He's so clouded by the failures that he's experiencing over and over and over again in the moment that he forgets the promise that Jesus gave him before the storm came. Remember what he said? You will all fall away. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to the place where we made this thing real. I'm going to do that. And I was, I was getting ready and I was preparing this message and I kept thinking to myself, Jesus willingly meets us despite our failures all the things that you try to do in his name to be a reflection of his light that you fail at, he willingly goes ahead and says, I'm excited to see you again, to do this again, to try this one more time. Jesus lovingly leads you despite your broken promises. Jesus Joyfully anticipates our time together again despite your time away. That is how good Jesus is. And I think the most beautiful, the best part of Jesus is actually just around the corner. Because Jesus goes to the cross and everyone is scattered and he's alone and he's about to take on all of eternity's sin and pay the price that you and I will be able to be in relationship with God. And he's laid in the tomb. And I can only imagine Peter, he probably doesn't want to go back to his friends. He doesn't want to go talk to his family. He is absolutely crushed at his lack of ability To stand for who he loves and who and what he said he would do. And I love that Jesus prepares his reconciliation in the most glorious way. He says, when the women were entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. That was super dramatic. I thought that was awesome. Go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. That's how good Jesus is. He just, he anticipates everything. And you can't surprise him. You can't throw him off guard. He knows the inclination of your heart. And when you want to stand for him, when you want to do something powerful for him, and when you fail, and when you, when you don't do as you ought. He's not just saying, hey, tell everybody I'll be there and they're going to be lucky if they see me. He, he marks it out for Peter. Tell Peter I'm there. And for some of you guys, you need to know that Jesus knows what you've been going through. He knows the inclination of your heart. Some of you guys have tried and said, I want to be this person in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is telling you, listen, I'm there waiting for you. I have not abandoned you. And for so many of us like me, This becomes a moment where I I enter into repentance because I I take for granted the fact that Jesus is there. I know that here, here. And so I I meander aimlessly back to the place where he's waiting patiently for me. And I know that's not fair to my Savior. That's not fair to Jesus. And so right now I just want to pray In a minute, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for one of two people. I'm going to pray for those of you who have never trusted Jesus with your life, that you would trust him, that you would see the value in preparing spiritually for the battles that are probably destroying you physically, that you would have a hope in Christ, that that would be the only way that you could get through what you're going through. And for the second grouping of people, I'm going to pray that you have a repentive moment this morning. That you understand that you've got to spend more time preparing spiritually for the battles that are coming your way physically. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I love you so much. I, I don't deserve and we don't deserve the kind of love and the kind of relentlessness the relentlessness that you put on display. But Jesus, it is a direct reflection of your father and the character of God. His desire is to reconcile all of creation back to him. And if you're here this morning and you know that you need Jesus And you need to be preparing in your spirit in ways that you've never prepared before. I want you to pray this prayer with me. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, pray, Jesus, forgive me for not trusting you. Jesus, forgive me for the sins that I've committed against you. Lord, thank you for dying for me, for taking on the weight of my sin. Lord, build in me a bravery that would stand for you in any circumstance. Jesus, teach me to pray in a way that would prepare my spirit for whatever comes in the flesh. Love you, Jesus. Amen. And if with your heads still bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? I'm gonna count to the I'm gonna count to three. If you prayed that prayer right now, I'm just gonna ask you to stand to your feet. One, two, three. Boldness, stand to your feet if you prayed that prayer. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Jesus sees you. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. you. Just remain standing right where you're at. I hope you understand the power that's inside that Jesus so deeply wants to give you. And when you pray that prayer, it's a, it's a prayer of surrender. Maybe it's the first time and maybe it's the 10,000th time. But here, now, he wants he to. Wants to connect with you so I'm going to ask you to do one more thing as a church we we celebrate together because there are so many of us who have walked this path I'm going to ask you to come down here and we want to give you a gift and we want to pray for you so right where you're standing if you are in the first or second balcony would you just come down right here um be bold and come down if you're up on the third balcony you can just turn around and usher we'll take you down Come down this direction. (laughs) You did it. You're super brave. Good job. What's up, man? coming down dude just sit right down here just stand right there All right, thanks for coming down yeah you just come down right here thanks for being brave just hang right here so here's the deal people clap because there's there's a commonness that they understand in this surrender They're not clapping because they need to make noise. Come on down, come on down. Make your way in. For the people that are standing and clapping, they they are doing that because they've walked this road. And the the courage to stand is the same prayer that you were praying back there, that you want to be somebody who stands for Jesus. And I think of the people that are Battling that decision right now. The exact same place that we came from. Lord, I want this, but my spirit isn't. I can't, I couldn't imagine walking down there. Be bold and just come down. It doesn't matter. It matters not what people think. It does not matter. And for you guys, we want to give you a gift. We want to pray for you. We want to like, we want to know you. Want to get you tethered into a community here? Uh, yeah. uh, so good. So good. Uh, we don't do this to make a display out of you. We do this because every person ought to be celebrated when they surrender their life to Jesus. That's the bottom line. So would you guys do me a favor? Would you follow that guy right there? All we're gonna do is give you a gift and pray for you and find out how we can support you guys. Would you guys stick around where service isn't over? service is still going so thank you guys for being so gracious I really appreciate it I'm praying for you as a pastor alongside of all the other pastors that are here and all the other leaders we're praying that collectively we would have that kind of bravery that we would be able to stand in a season of of trial and opposition where our culture says every false accusation against the person and the believers in Christ, that we would stand aware of who we are and our identity in Him. As we pray for our tithes and offerings, I just want you to know that every gift, no matter how big or how small, yeah, dude! Yes! Uh, that was awesome Jesus is man Uh, tithes and offerings are awesome because it's propelling this ministry forward it's propelling this ministry forward and when you give it's it's a part of that physical sacrifice that says spiritually God I'm ready Physically, money, whatever. Spiritually, I'm ready. So when we give, we give cheerfully. And there's three great ways to give. Put it in the box on the way out. Text to give. You can give online. Let me pray for this tithes and offering. And then after that, the pastors will come right down here. If you need prayer, do not leave. If Jesus stirred in your bones and you need to be prayed for, do not leave before you get prayer here. Amen. Let me pray for this. Jesus, thank you so much for that guy who just walked over there. Thank you so much for the word that you give us. Thank you for the strength that you promise us as we prepare spiritually. God, thank you for the opportunity to be a church together despite our, our faithlessness. God, I pray that you bless these tithes and offerings, that it would do more ministry than we would ever conceive or know. We love you, Lord, in your name I pray, amen. Love you guys.